If you have a Bible, take it and turn to the first book, Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17. It's uh, It's been 13 years here. A lot can happen in 13 years. 13 years ago, I was, and I probably shouldn't admit this, I was still in high school. I was still living at my parents' house in, in Ohio. Um, since then, I have graduated from college. I've graduated from seminary. I've been married for nine years, have four kids. Uh, a lot happens in 13 years. Where were you 13 years ago? Some of you didn't exist. Uh, what, what happened 13 years ago? 13 years ago, you probably had no idea where you might be. Some of you had no thought that you would be living in Louisville, Kentucky, 13 years from that moment. Um, who has left your life in that time? Who has come into your life? How have you changed? How have you grown? In chapter 16, we left Abram at the end in verse 16 of chapter 16, and he was 86 years old. And he had a new son, Ishmael. And now in, in chapter 17, if you look at verse 1 there, it says when Abram was 99 years old. So now Abram is 99, and he has a 13-year-old son. A lot has obviously happened between chapter 16, verse 16, and chapter 17, verse 1, and a lot that we really don't know. But I'm sure a lot has changed. People have probably joined uh, Abram's family some have left, whether through their own decision or maybe some have died. It's been 13 years, 13 years of crops and cattle, 13 years of joy and sorrow, 13 years of waiting. Remember, we talked about how long Abram has been waiting, waiting for God to fulfill his promises. But it's not just been 13 years that Abram has been waiting, right? Add 10 to that. It's been 23 years since we first met Abram back in chapter 12. 23 years since God has spoken his promise and said, I'm going to bless you, Abram. And part of that blessing is you're going to have a son. The years have continued to go. And now it's 23 years later. A lot has changed in 23 years, I'm sure. But God comes to Abram in chapter 17, and he affirms for Abram that he has not changed and that his promises to Abram have not changed. God has been slowly revealing these promises. He just keeps coming in different ways, and he pulls the curtain back just a little bit more. And here in chapter 7, 17, he pulls it back a little bit more, and he makes the promises even bigger, and he makes the fulfillment of them even sure. He, is, he makes sure that Abram knows he is going to be true to his word. But also in this chapter, he's going to call Abram to faithfulness, and to holiness. God is going to accomplish his purposes, but he's not going to do it without changing Abram. God doesn't call Abram to do something and leave him where he's at. And the same is true for us when God wants to fulfill his purposes and fulfill his promises towards us. We are changed. He calls us to faithfulness. He calls us to holiness. So get ready. If God's going to fulfill promises for us, if God is going to do good to us, he's not going to leave us where we are. We are going to have to change. We are going to become different at our very core. Let's read this, this story in chapter 17 of Genesis. We'll read the whole thing, verses 1 through 27. Um, if, you, if you want to break it down, just so you can understand as we're reading through it, you could break it down into about four different parts. The first, there's three different times where God speaks. We see in verses 1 through 8 is one message that God gives. 
verses 9 through 14, he speaks again. Verses 15 through 21 is a third message. And then verses 22 through 27 is a response from Abram. Let's read together. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I, make, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and said to him, And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for your wife, Sarai, as for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed, and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, 
And all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Chapter 17 opens a lot like chapter 15. God appears to Abram and speaks to him. Was this the first time, this is my question, was this the first time since chapter 15 that God has spoken to Abram? It would be 13 years of silence, 13 years of not hearing from God. It's hard to know, but it, it very well could be true. And so in all those years, Abram is holding on to the promises that God has given him, to the word that, that God had said to him, the, the promise that he would be blessed and that he would be a blessing, that he would have this land that he was wandering around in the land of Canaan, that it would be his, that it would be um, for his offspring. They would possess it, that 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 he would have this promised offspring, that he would have a son that would fulfill the covenant. And he held on to all of these promises. And he held on to the promise that was in the name of his son, Ishmael. Remember that promise that God hears, God sees. And in all the silence, he knew that God heard him and that God saw him and saw he and his aging wife that saw his family. God saw he and his friends there in the land of Canaan. So God comes and he speaks to Abram and he speaks a brand new name. This is the first time that this name occurs in Scripture. He comes and he says, I am God Almighty. You may have heard of the Hebrew, it's El Shaddai. El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. It speaks of God's power, God's might and it foreshadows the answer to a question that's going to be asked in chapter 18 the question is is anything too hard for the lord and if god is god almighty then the answer to that question is no nothing is too hard for the lord god is god almighty and it's a name that abram is going to have to hold on to in the coming months he's going to have to to know that god is god almighty this is a, a name that's going to undergird everything that god is going to say to abram that he is Almighty. Remember, this narrative, this story is not about Abram. It's about God. It's about who God is, and God reveals himself as God Almighty, and in Abram's life, he is going to reveal himself as strong and as powerful. This is the purpose of all our lives, is to reveal who God is, to see God as, as strong and powerful. What's interesting here, though, is that this, this is followed. If we're just focusing on, on verse 1 here, and verse, then verse 2. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. And he says, walk before me and be blameless. There's a call to obedience here. It's, it's twofold. The first is to walk before me, God says. It's this idea that Abram was going to be a representative, that he was going to show who God was to all the nations that surrounded. Israel was a crossroads for, for all the different nations that would come as they were traveling they would, they would travel through Israel, and Abram was to be in this land, and he was to be a representative of who God is and what a right relationship with God looked like. He was to walk before God. The second one is that Abram is to be blameless. He's to be pure. He's to be holy. He's to be honest in all of his actions. Which we think back to, has Abram always been honest? Has he always been pure? Has he always been holy? That's what he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be blameless. The New Testament phrase comes to mind. He's to be above reproach. No one should be able to bring anything, a charge against Abram. He is to be pure and holy. So he's to walk before God. He's to be blameless. Why? Verse 2 says, That I may make my covenant 
between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Now here we have a problem, okay? Because what it feels like this is saying is God says, I'm God Almighty. Abram, you need to walk before me and you need to be blameless. And if you do those things, then I will fulfill my covenant to you. So the question here is, are, are God's promises, are they contingent? In other words, are they, do, they, do they hinge or, or will they only be fulfilled if Abram is obedient? Does this mean that God is not going to keep his promises, that he's not going to multiply Abram greatly or give him the land if he fails to walk before God, if he fails to be blameless? Because if that's the case, then Abram's in trouble, right? I mean, we've watched him fail, and he's going to fail some more. We're going to see them again. And the other problem is if this reveals how God relates to Abram, it also reveals how God relates to us. So it, we're all in trouble then. Do we have to be blameless? Do we have to be a perfect representation of God in order for him to bless us and to give us his promises? I hope your mind goes back to chapter 15. Do you remember chapter 15 when God says, I'm going to do this? He separates those sacrifices and he walks through them. He says, it's contingent on me. I will fulfill my promises. Abram, it's not about what you're doing or who you are. It's about me and I swear by myself that I will do this. And if that's the case in chapter 15, is chapter 17 something different? Um, has God changed his mind? Is this a, a different kind of promise that relies on Abram's obedience? I hope you see why this is important, because if this, again, if this is how God relates to us, then it's saying God will do what he will do as long as we keep up our end of the bargain, and that's going to be tough for us. Tough isn't the right word. It's going to be impossible for us. But I think the point is not to, to say that this is different, but rather that there's this tension that's created. And, and the point is to say that God, God calls us to a life of holiness and faith, but his promises are rooted in his unchanging character. And that's the main point. Let me say that again. God calls us to a life of holiness and faith, but his promises are rooted in his unchanging character. So he says, God, in other words, God is going to do what he says he's going to do, but he is also going to change us as he accomplishes it. That's, those are inevitable things, but they are, they are separate in a way. We're going to come back to that main thought um, at, at the end. But what I want to do now is walk through this passage and try to understand everything that's going on here. What's the deal with all this talk about circumcision? What are all these promises and the name changes? And, and, and what is going on in this chapter. Let's try to walk through and understand it and then come back to this main idea. There's a lot of repetition in this in this passage. God is emphasizing different things. A lot of what's going on is God is saying, Abram, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I want you to do. And then he gives all these different signs to, to, to say, this is my promise that it's going to happen. Remember, all of this happens how many years after God first met Abram? 24 years. But also, because we know it's one year before God is going to fulfill a major part of the covenant. So this is, this is preparation. There's been, there's been preparation up to this point, and this is kind of the final preparation. This is like the cram before the big final. God has said, i got to give you everything. This is everything you need to know because something's going to happen real soon. And so we got to get everything in order because he's going to reveal himself as God Almighty. The first way that God prepares Abram is he changes 
his name. You know, your, your name is at the core of who you are, right? If someone comes up to you and they say, who are you? What do you say? I say, my name's Andy. That's, that's who I am, Andy Sabaka, my family name. This is the family that I'm attached to and the specific person that I am within that family. But in Abram's day, not only was that a part of it, but the name meant something. Your name had a meaning, and the meaning was, was important to, to who you were. Abram means exalted father. And we might look at that and say, well, Abram is said to, he's going to be an exalted father. But what it probably was, it was a look back to his father, to Terah. That Terah was an exalted father. Terah was a man of great standing in his land. And that's, that's why Abram was named exalted father in, in reflection of who his father was. And so God comes and he says, your name is no longer Abram. It's no longer one that looks back to the past and the greatness of the past. Your name is now Abraham. And Abraham means father of a multitude. Abraham, Abraham's name becomes something that doesn't look to the past anymore. It looks to the future. It looks to who God, what God is going to do for Abraham. He's going to make him a father of a multitude of nations. God takes the focus off of Abraham's past and he puts it on his future, on the child that he is going to have. And not just a single child, but, but on offspring. He, he expands this promise. He says, he's been saying, God, that, that Abraham, is going to, Abraham is going to father nations, but now he says, within those nations, kings are going to come from you, Abraham. Not just nations, but, but kings and he confirms again that they're going to have this land. He continues to expand this promise. He says that this promise is an everlasting covenant to Abraham. There's no plan B. He doesn't, he's not going to change his mind. This is how God is going to bless Abraham. And then he says that, he, that God is going to be their God. You look at that in verse 8. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God is seeking to make a special nation, a special people whose God is God. That God is their God and they are they are focused on Him. And in light of all this, then God gives Abraham a special tangible sign for his name. He establishes a sign for Abraham that says he's going to be a blessed nation that promises this soon coming fulfillment of the of the promises. And it's the sign of Circumcision. Circumcision is something that's seen throughout Scripture. It's an important theme. We read it in, in Romans 4 this morning. Russell had to read through that passage. It's, it's, it's a bit confusing trying to understand what's going on with this. What is the purpose? What's the point of, of circumcision? Um, God comes and he says, Abram, this is the sign of the covenant. I want you to be circumcised. Anyone who's in your house to be circumcised. Anyone who you have bought to be circumcised, everyone that you own is going to be circumcised. What is the point of all of this? At the very least, it's a sign of purification. It's a sign that they are going to be pure. But, but more deeply, this is amazing that I was, was something I was reading, that, that, that in ancient Egypt, where they had come from, circumcision was a sign that, that priests took on. That, that if, if you were circumcised, it was because you were going into the priesthood. So you were going to be a representative to God. And only certain people in that land were, not everyone was circumcised, just those who were consecrated, who were set apart to go before God. But who does, who does God tell Abraham to circumcise? Everyone. 
everyone will be circumcised because everyone is going to be consecrated to me. This is a special nation. Abraham, you are a special people. You are a people that are devoted to me. I am your God. And Exodus 19 is going to say that, that the nation of Israel, that Abraham's descendants are to be a kingdom of priests. That's who they are supposed to be. So this is a special thing. God is setting them apart. But God's not done preparing to Abraham. Now he looks to Sarai. Remember we left Sarai in chapter 16. Uh, she wasn't really the picture of faith there, was she? She was kind of conniving and trying to find her own way to fulfill the promises. But here, God looks to Sarai and says, Your name is no longer Sarai, but Sarah is your name. He changes her name. They both mean the same thing, actually. They both mean princess. Um, that would probably be a name that my girls would love to have. Princess. They love princesses. But Sarai is said to be a princess. But I think it's the same as Abraham. That, that Abram was a name that looked to the past, and Abraham is one that looks to the future. For Sarai, it's one that looks to the past and, and just the blessing of her, of her family. But now it looks to the future. Sarah, you are going to have... It, it continues here. It says, I will bless her in verse 16. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. God says all of this, and Abram falls on his face. He fell on his face in, in verse 3. It says that Abram fell on his face. He fell on his face in worship. But here again, he falls on his face. And this time he falls on his face, and he laughs. Have you ever been in a situation where you don't know what to do, so you just kind of laugh? I think sometimes we just have nervous laughter. You don't really know what to do. I almost feel like that's what's going on here. There's a lot going on. Why is Abraham laughing? I think part of it is is kind of just this confusion. Like, is it, are you really bringing this up again? I I, I just I I cannot wrap my mind around Sarah, my ninety year old wife, having a child. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I think part of it is unbelief because he he comes up with he says, what about God? Remember, we've got this other option. Sarah and I came up with Ishmael. Why can't Ishmael live before you? Does Sarah really have to have a son? Because, look, I have a son, Ishmael. I mean, I think Abraham is attached to Ishmael at this point. It's been 13 years. It's his only son. And I think there's this hope in the back of his head that maybe Ishmael will be the one that fulfills the covenant. So he says, oh, God, why don't you just use Ishmael? Well, God confirms that he's going to bless Ishmael. He says what he said to Hagar. He will be have a multitude of nations. He even says that he's going to father 12 princes. Princes. But he is clear that Ishmael is not the fulfillment of the promise. He says, no, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. And then God gives this final confirmation. He's confirming all of this. He changes names. And he, and he, ha he gives them this sign. And then there's this, this beautiful final confirmation. He, he says, I'm going to give you a son. And then he gives them a date. And he gives them a name. Now, if you're gonna, if, if you're a family and you're playing, I remember Andrew and I thinking about having children. When it's in your head, it's one thing. But when you go to the doctor and they say, "Here's the due date," you know, eight months from now, if when you find out this is when your child is going to be born, suddenly reality sets in. Oh, we're really going to have a baby. This is crazy. This is going to change our lives. You really have no idea how much it's going to change your lives. 
But then even if, if you have enough foresight, we did this with our first child, with our last three, they didn't get named until maybe 24 hours after they were born. But if you have the foresight and you can, you can decide on a name beforehand and you start and you name that child and you call them by name, then, then it's even more of a reality. This is a real child. This is a person that, that, that is going to be born into our family. I think that's what God is, is doing here. He says, Abraham, you're going to have a son, and I've already got the name picked out. His name is Isaac. I'm going to call him Laughter because you are laughing. At, at, the, at the thought of having a child, but they're going to laugh in a different way once he is born. And then he gives them a date. I love verse 21, because I feel like if, if I was writing a musical score for this passage, you know, this is when the, the music would be, would be swelling, because it's kind of this great crescendo. Something awesome is going to happen. He says, I'm going to establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you. Now, that's usually where God stops, right? Sarah is going to have a son. But then he says, at this time next year. says, Abraham, you got one year. I, you've waited 24 years, and now I'm telling you, his name is Isaac, and he's going to be here in one year. And then God is gone. That's the last thing that he says. It stops. It says, 22, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. That, that's, that's the end of the conversation. We're going to see him talk more in, in verse 18, and we're going to focus more on this thought of Isaac and, and laughter, because it's that's such a beautiful thing. But but God goes up from Abraham. He's confirmed all of these things. He, he said, I'm changing your name. I'm preparing you, Abraham. you got people that are coming. I'm preparing you, Sarah. Kings are going to come from you. I'm expanding this covenant. I'm giving you the sign. and this, I'm preparing you. I'm preparing you in your very flesh is where this covenant is going to be. And I'm telling you, you're going to have a son. His name is Isaac, and he's going to be here in a year. And after this happens, it says in verse 23, Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham hears these promises confirmed, and immediately, that very day, he does exactly what God said. Now, if you read through that, I mean, I just read those two verses, and that explains what Abraham did. But then there's this repetition. I mean, it says it again. It's, it's very deliberate. This is exactly what Abraham did. He followed God's word to a T. It's, it's, it's emphasizing the fact that, that Abraham obeyed immediately, and he obeyed completely. When God confirmed his covenant, Abraham obeyed immediately and completely. Okay, so that's, we've walked through the whole passage. We haven't dealt with everything in the passage, it's impossible to do that. But let's come back to this, this thought that we had. The key thought is that God calls us to a life of holiness and faith, but His promises are rooted in His unchanging character. I think that what is here is, is the message of the Gospel. God is going to do what He is going to do, but He's also going to change us in the process. Now, Watch this in verse 2. Let's kind of walk through this and, and apply it a little bit. In verse 1, it says, God comes and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So God says, I'm God Almighty and I want you to follow me, Abraham. These are the things that you need to do and I will fulfill my covenant. 
and God says to us, we're created in God's image, and our purpose in life is, is to walk before God, to represent who God is, and to be holy. But none of us do that because of the reality of sin. And so we, we don't walk before God, we don't represent God perfectly, and we are not blameless. So we're in big trouble. What's the solution? Because there's a tension here, and the tension is not resolved in the passage. you know when it's resolved? It's resolved when Jesus comes. It's resolved because Jesus is the one that God says, I am God Almighty. Jesus, walk before me and be blameless. And Jesus is the one that walks before God, is the perfect representation of who God is, and he is blameless. Jesus is what Abraham could not be. As we looked at in Sunday school, Jesus is who Adam could not be. Jesus is who David could not be. Jesus is who we could not be. He is the one who walks before God and is blameless and thereby fulfills the covenant for us. Remember the key thought of chapter 15. The key thought of chapter 15 is that Abraham is justified how? <coughs> By faith. By believing what God has done. The point of reading Romans 4, if you want to go back and read Romans 4 again, the main point of Romans 4 is to say, was Abraham justified before he was circumcised or after he was circumcised? Now, you remember our study in Galatians. This whole circumcision thing was a big deal. And they were saying, you have to be circumcised in order to be a true Christian. And Paul keeps saying, no, you don't. Because we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith. And Paul's argument is, it goes all the way back to Abraham. Abraham. Abraham was saved by faith. Was he circumcised before or after God credited him with righteousness for his faith? Well, is chapter 15 before or after chapter 17? It's before. So Abraham is justified by faith, not by what he does. And the same is true here. The promises are fulfilled not because Abraham is good, not because he walks before God and is blameless. He has not been blameless. Not even close. And again, he's going to keep failing. But who is blameless? Jesus is. And it's by faith that we are justified. It's by faith that we are made right before God. And so then, by faith, God comes, and in the gospel, he does everything that he has done for Abraham. God comes and he gives us a new name. We, we are new creations in Christ. We are adopted into God's family. When you're adopted into a family, you take on that name. Not only that, the, what's the other illustration? That we become, as a church, we become the bride of Christ. When you're married, if you're the bride, what do you do? You take on the name of your husband. We are given a new name. And one of the names that we are given in the Scripture is that we are Christians. Little Christs. Like, like my name means something, but it doesn't, it's kind of, is forgotten by most people. The same can be true for Christians sometimes. It's become a name that we just throw around and doesn't really mean a whole lot to us. But that is who you are. If you've put your faith in Christ, then you are a Christian. This is the, at the core of who you are. Just like when someone says, who are you? And you answer with your name. My name is Andy. Well, who are you at your core? You've been given a new name. You're a child of God. You're the bride of Christ. You are a Christian. That's the core of who you are. You've been given a new name. Not only that, but we receive circumcision. Now that may seem strange, but we receive what the New Testament calls a circumcision made without hands. The circumcision of our hearts. Our flesh is cut away. We are dead to sin. We're alive 
to Christ. We're made into a priesthood. If, if circumcision symbolized being a special people set apart for God, then in 1 Peter 2, Peter says that we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a people for God's own possession. We belong to God. As Christians, we take part in these signs of the covenant. Baptism is, is, is very similar to circumcision in so many ways. It's, it's the death of the flesh and the raising to new life. And we participate in that if we have put our faith in Christ. The signs don't save us, but they model what Christ has done. And all of this speaks to the truth that we are God's people. Just think about Abram, who's carried this, this name, Abram, for 99 years. And God comes and says, you're not called Abram anymore, you're called Abraham. Changes his name after nearly 100 years. And then he says, and I want you to be circumcised at 100 years old. And then he says, and Sarai's name is changed to Sarah. Underneath all of that, God is saying, I own you. You are mine. I have created you, and I have bought you, and you are my creation. And God comes to us in the same way, and when he tells us all of these things, he says, you are my people. I'm changing your name. You are bought with a price. I am, I am killing your flesh. You are mine. You are a royal priesthood. You are a people for my own possession. And he's done it all through the, his death and his resurrection. We've been changed at our core identity. Now, what's the response then of Abram? After God shows all of this, he responds in complete obedience. So again, getting back to that main idea, God's promises are not contingent on what we do. Because Jesus has done everything necessary for us. The message of the gospel is that Jesus has done what we could not do. Jesus has been walked before us and walked before God and been blameless in a way that we could not. And so we are changed by that gospel. But now in response to it, we live lives of complete and immediate obedience, just like Abraham did. Abraham was did not obey God in this rite of circumcision so that he could earn his salvation. Romans 4 is clear on that. He did it because God told him to. Because God owned him and because God had changed him. And God, God's promises were true to him because he was different because of what God had done. You may remember from our study in Galatians again that our growth in holiness is the process of becoming who we really are. Abraham is becoming who he really is here. He's becoming who God has told him he is. For those of us as Christians, we've been given a new name. We, we've, our flesh has died. We've been raised up to new life. We have been promised so many things. This is who we truly are. And so the process of growing in sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus, isn't so that we can earn our salvation. It's, it's becoming who God has made us to be. It's becoming a little Christ. It's becoming a Christian. It's seeing our flesh as truly dead and seeing ourselves as truly raised to be with Him. And this is the message for us. It's that, that we have this, this new identity and that's where everything flows from so there are two different people there are people who look at verses verses one and two and say god is god almighty he's called me to walk before him and to be blameless otherwise the promises won't be fulfilled so i'm just going to do my best to be perfect and if i can be perfect then maybe god will accept me and then there are those that read that and say wow there's no way that i can do that and we look to jesus and say jesus has done it for us Remember this from uh, from past studies that the religion 
is spelled D-O. It's what we have to do. The gospel is spelled D-O-N-E. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. He has accomplished this for us. He has given us a new name. He has changed us at the very core of our being. He has made us new people. And so the message is, are we going to try to do and be accepted before God? Are we going to accept that Jesus has done what we could never do? And if we accept this, that's hinged on what God is going to do, but it also changes us completely. We are totally different people. Now, I have not scratched the surface of Genesis 17. And to be honest, there's so many, I feel like there's a lot of loose ends hanging out there. And so if I can just, I'm going to try to illustrate this. This is, and I'm going to go to the Lion King. Um, Has everyone seen the Lion King? This is terrible to go down to this level. But um, (laughs) if you've seen the Disney movie, The Lion King, you remember this story. There's there's the king of, uh, of the jungle up there on Pride Rock, right? And his name is Mufasa. That's the, the main guy. And Mufasa has a son. Remember the son's name? Simba. Simba is, is the son of Mufasa. He is the heir to all of Mufasa's land. Um, and through different circumstances, it's been a long time since I've seen the movie, but through different for different reasons, whether through neglect or laziness or, or fear, Simba leaves. He's not there anymore. And he finds himself um, away from his, his, the land that he's supposed to be in, away from his proper place as the heir of his father's throne. And he's out eating bugs with some warthog, and I forget what the other animal is, but Timon and Pumbaa, they're out there in the middle of nowhere. He's away from where he's supposed to be, and he's not... He's, he's, he's living in a way that he's not supposed to live. He's not living as who he truly is. And so this crazy baboon, Rafiki, you remember that guy? He comes with this stick, and he comes to, uh, to Simba, and he says, this is, he tries to remind him who he really is. He hits him over the head with this stick, and he says, what are you doing here eating bugs with some warthog and, and this other strange animal? This is not where you belong. This is not what you were made to be. You are Mufasa's son. And he tells him at one point, he says, to, to look in this, in this water. You remember this? He looks supposed to look in some pool. And he looks in the pool, and all he sees is himself. And then, and then Rafiki says, no, look, look a little bit deeper. And he looks deeper, and what does he see? He sees the reflection of his father. His father speaks to him. He says, this is who you are, Simba. This is who you truly are. Simba had forgotten who he was. And it takes this baboon to come and hit him over the head and say, this is not where you're supposed to be. You don't belong with these guys eating bugs in the middle of nowhere. He's reminded of who he really is. And then he returns to live out who he's intended to be. Now, obviously, this is just a silly Disney movie. But do you see the beautiful truth there? I, I think the truth is, is, who are you? Who has God called you? Has he changed your name? Are you a Christian? Then this week, have you, have you spent your whole week out eating bugs, spending time in company that you shouldn't be with? Have you lived in a way that, that reflects God? Are you walking before him, showing who he is? Are you living a life that is, that is blameless? Or have you forgotten who you are? You're just, you're just living in a way that doesn't reflect who you truly are. You are a part of God's family. God has adopted you. He's given you his name. 
He's taken you as his bride. We are part of this special people. He, have, he has circumcised us with the circumcision done without hands. He has killed our flesh. We are no longer alive to sin. We are dead to sin. And we are raised up to new life. This is our true identity. I, I think the message is that just because God says, I will do it. Again, it's that, that classic message of Romans 6 where he says, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? We could say, since God in Jesus is the one who walks before him and is blameless, should we just not worry about that? Abraham worried about it. He obeyed God completely, even though he knew that God was the only one who could fulfill those promises. And so it's true for us. We look to Jesus and we say, we have no hope apart from what you have done. But because of what Jesus has done, we are completely changed to walk in holiness and to walk in faithfulness. So my encouragement is, if, if you are trying to do what verses 1 and 2 say on your own, then to give up and to say only Jesus can do that and to put your faith in him alone for salvation. We're saved by faith, not by works. But then if that is true, if you've put your faith in Christ, then you are totally different. You are a completely new person. You've got a new name. You have a new nature. You are totally different. So think about where you've been this past week. Has it been something where you've been walking before God, representing Him well? Have you been walking blamelessly before Him? Are you above reproach? If you haven't been, it doesn't mean that you're not saved, because Jesus has done that for us. But He's calling us to follow after Him. Some of us, what this passage should be, it should be a whack to the head that says, Who are you? Who are you really? What is your real name? When someone says, Who are you? Do you answer with the old nature? Or do you say, no, I'm a Christian. I've been changed by Jesus. I am completely new. The old has gone. The new has come. My flesh is dead. I'm alive in Christ. So, if you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, act like it. Obey. Immediately. And completely. Just like Abram did. Abraham did. He's a totally new person. And receive this encouragement. Abraham is going to fail. It's going to fail again. And this week, we're going to try to walk before God, represent Him well. We're going to try to be blameless. We're going to fail. We continue to look to Jesus, to find Him to be our strength. But that doesn't mean that we lay back and say, well, I'm not going to try. No, we allow God to make us who we really are, to work that out in our daily lives. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would take all of these words and, and put them into some sort of coherent thought in our minds. Lord, we are, we are different, and it's not by our own doing. It's because of what you have done for us in Christ. Thank you that we don't have to walk blamelessly before you in order to earn our salvation. But that you have done that for us. But Lord, thank you for the privilege that we have of walking before you because of all that you have done. Lord, make us who we really are. If we are truly your children, if we are truly have this new name, help us to live in it. We can only do it by the power of your Spirit because of what Christ has done. I pray all this in his name. Amen.